Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture today is Genesis chapter 2, verses 4b through 9. If you would like to follow along in the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 2. But before we read, let us first pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. And the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and the water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Lucinda and I are tag-teaming the reading here. It continues in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may eat freely of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. For the next few weeks, we'll be hearing some old stories that are found at the beginning of the biblical witness. But before we jump in, we need to recognize that 
these stories can be problematic in a variety of ways. They were written in a different age, at a different time, when what was known about the world was dramatically different than what we know now. So translating their meaning into our own day comes with its own set of challenges. The first story is a story of creation where God speaks the world into being and does so in six days. This story was carried on the wings of piety and until Charles Darwin discovered a different story of creation, one that took not a week but eons. Darwin's scientific theory caused heartburn among some people of faith. It was a familiar heartburn that had been felt before when, for example, Galileo testified that the sun did not revolve around the earth, but the earth revolved around the sun. Some assumed this meant we must choose Scripture or science. But that's a false choice. If Scripture is true, then there is no discovery of truth in any other discipline that can be a threat. The Battle of Darwin was a long time ago except when it isn't. You may remember, I think it was about 15 years ago, the Kansas Board of Education included uh, or made it mandatory that the science curriculum in the state of Kansas must include the theory of intelligent design offered over against Darwin's scientific theory of evolution. It was bad science and an embarrassment for the state. It was worse theology and an embarrassment for the church. These Genesis stories are not science books, and to treat them as such reduces their truth. But the problems don't end there. Some read these stories as history. Adam and Eve were the first couple, and they had children, all boys it turned out. Cain, Abel, and after some time, Seth. It didn't go very well. We'll get to that story in a few weeks. In time, Cain became the father of Enoch. Now, of course, where his wife came from is something of a mystery, if this indeed is history. But efforts to reduce these stories to history again reduces their truth. These stories do not speak of the adventures of the first family. They make theological claims for all families. But the problems don't even end there. In, in the book Eve and Adam, which is edited by theologian and friend of Village, Dr. Chris Quam, uh, along with two other scholars, Dr. Quam points out that these stories raise troubling questions about the relationship between men and women. She notes that some have used these stories to diminish the status of women. The one of the argument goes something like this. Since Adam was created first and from the dust of the earth, and Eve was created second from Adam, then obviously God thinks that man is superior to woman, that man is the head of woman. 
A more honest read is that God has never thought that. It's just men who have thought that. (laughs) This, too, is terrible theology. These stories are problematic enough. We might be tempted just to skip over them. Just skip over them. Let's find something less troubling. Believe me, when I was working on this message this week, I had that thought more than once. But there is a richness and a basic honesty within these stories that is not only relevant, but is essential for us today. Even though they were written thousands of years ago, there's a word for our day right now that we cannot ignore. So, with all of that, let's jump in. God looked down and saw that there was an incompleteness in creation. There was no garden. More than that, there was no gardener. So in one of the most intimate images of Scripture, God kneels down in the dirt and forms the human creature and breathes into the human creature the breath of life. We know this as the story of the creation of Adam. But if you were paying attention, you may have noticed that the name Adam is never mentioned in in the text. Why is that? Because Adam is actually the Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is Adam, and Adam is not a, uh, a proper name. Adam is the Hebrew word for humankind. This is not a story about a guy. It's a story about everyone. The story wouldn't work if the guy's name was Frank or Percival. Those are proper names. No, this is about Adam. This is a story about all of us. Again, Dr. Quam teaches Adam remains deficient, lacking something. Why? because he is alone. And God says, it is not good that the human creature is alone. Not good. After God has created light and stars and starfish and sequoias and human beings themselves, and each of them deemed good and good and very good. It is striking now that we hear this is not good. This is the first not good. The human creature is alone. That is what's not good in the garden. So God fashions a partner And when the human sees the partner, there is incredible joy. At last, at last, my Hebrew professor said, translate that, zowie. At last, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, to see one to whom you are connected, to see one to whom you belong is a source of great joy, and it is that which heals that which is not good. Then verse 24 reads, therefore a man leaves his mother and father and clings to his wife. This verse sounds like the point of the whole passage is marriage. To cure loneliness, go ye and get married. Well, no. 
that may be good for some. But if I understand the text, marriage is not the point, but simply an illustration of a deeper truth. And the deeper truth is not about marriage, but relationship. We are not who we were created to be apart from one another. To be human is to love. And there must be an other to love. You may have heard the report this week from the Surgeon General declaring not only an epidemic of loneliness in the United States, but the medical fact that it's killing us. Surgeon General Murphy says, we now understand that loneliness is like hunger and thirst. It is a feeling the body sends us when something we need for survival is missing. Dr. Murphy stated that the risk of loneliness are comparable to the risk of obesity or smoking a dozen cigarettes every day. Our faith has taught us it is not good to be alone. Modern medicine indicates that it can be fatal. Two brief takeaways from this ancient wisdom. First, pay attention to your relationships. Relationships require intentionality. No one walks through this life in joyful fashion without friendship. Now, this is so basic, you would think we would not need to say it but we do because relationships are complicated, they can be difficult, and even when they're easy, they can be taken for granted. But they require intentionality. On March the 4th, 1801, power passed from President John Adams to the new President Thomas Jefferson Jefferson had been Adams' vice president, but he had some issues with Adams' policies, and so he ran against him in the election of 1800, and Jefferson won. The campaign, this will surprise you, the campaign was bitter. It was so bitter that these two former friends no longer spoke to each other. They refused to speak to one another. After over a decade of silence at the urging of Dr. Benjamin Rush, Adams broke the silence. He rose above his pain, and he penned a letter to his old friend Jefferson. Jefferson received the letter with gratitude and responded with a letter of his own. This renewed a relationship, and over the next 14 years, they wrote 158 known letters to each other. The friendship was so dear that John Adams' last thoughts in this life were about his friend Thomas Jefferson. His last words were, Jefferson survives. Of course, he had no way to know that five hours earlier on that same day, Jefferson also had died. It was... July the 4th, 1826, 50 years to the day after they had signed 
the Declaration of Independence together. They could have died estranged, but they died with each other on their minds and hearts. We cannot be who God calls us to be alone. And relationships require intentionality. Today we have had the joy to welcome this confirmation class. We are so grateful and so excited. They will need you. Because like everyone, these confirmands will have joyful days. And you'll have hard days. But no one goes through this life alone So they will need you as the church, but you also will need them. You will need their energy. You will need their insights. You will need the vision that they bring. You will need the hope that they inspire in us. It's not good to be alone, and friendships need to be practiced. They require intentionality. Here's a rule of thumb for you. Let your relationships show up on your calendar. Make time for those you love, because love requires time. I I have a practice. I've had it for years. At the beginning of every month, I set up in little categories my plan for the month. There are a lot of work tasks in one of those categories, but there are other categories too. I I keep keep track of letters that I write, and I I keep track of books that, that I read Amelia Bedelia and those, you know, and, and, and I keep track of my fledgling attempts at exercise, and, and there's some financial tracking there, what we give away and what we choose to save. And I've been doing this for a number of years, sort of a plan for my life. I've been doing this for a number of years when it dawned on me that I had missed the most important part. There was nothing in my plan about my relationships. It was shocking. That's where it should start. Because here's the truth. What makes us human is who we love and how we love them. At the end of the day and at the end of our days, what defines us is our relationships, who we love and how we love. Let your relationships show up on your calendar. I think God would say that is good. But there is a second, deeper, more mysterious takeaway from this lesson. If I understand the text, I'm not sh- I don't think it's pushing it too far to say when we greet another human being, what we are greeting is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, one to whom I belong and one who belongs to me. Maddie Rigsby is the grandmother in Clyde Edgerton's novel, Walking Across Egypt. It's an old novel. Maddie befriends Wesley. He's a teenager with a record. She meets him at Juvie, and they begin a rather unusual friendship But Maddie's son, Robert, is not happy about this. Young adult son, Robert, he 
He says, Wesley is a juvenile delinquent, and mother, you should be careful. He's going to take advantage of you. He probably just wants to befriend you so he can steal your car when he gets out. Maddie responds and says, Robert, the gospel of Matthew says, he says, mother, I know what Matthew says. She says, you don't know what I'm going to say. Whatsoever ye do unto the least of these, my brethren, you do unto me. That's what Matthew says. And she says, and Wesley is certainly the least of these, my brethren. He said, mama, you have done for him. I don't know what. Doesn't doesn't that Bible of yours ever tell you when it's enough? Doesn't it ever tell you when to stop? She says, no. You know, I don't think it does. Manny Rigsby looked at Wesley, and she saw a child of God, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and she was joyful. Robert, on the other hand, he's still alone in the garden, if you know what I mean. Easter week, Easter week, Ralph Yarl, 16-year-old black boy, went to pick up his brothers at a friend house, friend's house. He knocked on the wrong door and was shot twice. He was shot by Andrew Lester, an 84-year-old white man. Mr. Lester said he was afraid. I believe him. So many people are afraid. And fear is a terrible thing because it's almost impossible to be our best self when we are shaped by fear. And fear in some places will be legal justification for violence, but it is not a moral justification because we must ask ourselves first, why are we afraid? Why are we afraid? Was it racism? Of course it was. But make it more basic than that. Make it more basic than that. He looked through his doorway and he saw a black teenager, a young boy, but what he did not see is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. What he did not see is one whom God created for relationship and love just like him. What he did not know, therefore, was that he was still alone in the garden because that's what he had chosen. And God would say, it is not good. When we see another and fail to see bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, that is the first thing that God says is not good, and we don't need the Surgeon General to tell us that it's killing us. When the human creature is alone, it is not good, and it can be deadly. And salvation comes from a relationship 
Marriage for some, yes. Friendship for all, yes. And just as important as they are, it's broader than that. It is seeing in the other, any other, every other, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, seeing the other as one whom God has created for love. And when we can see that, Zowie, there is great joy. And God declares that to be good and good and very good. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.